dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hey friends, this is Mother Natalia. Today's episode is Father Michael's, and together he and I walk through the some of the funeral hymns that we have for adults, for those who are um, have not yet had personal sin, like babies who die, and a couple of the hymns for the departed for a priest. And we walk through what it is a little bit to mourn and the need to, to pray for the repose of the soul of those who have died and the, the necessity to keep up that practice throughout our life. And if you are a hashtag banter hater, we have kind of two banters. The first one lasts about four minutes and then we do another one until about 12 and a half minutes after the end of this intro. But if you skip that, you miss Father Michael telling me that I'm always right. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Good afternoon, Mother. Good afternoon. It's not afternoon for you. This is true. I am I am living right now in the Eastern time zone. Oh, just how long I'm have you been back? You. Oh, no, I no, see. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I just, I, you are so good at, we've talked about this before, at least in person, you are so good at doing the math because whenever, dear listeners, Mother Natalia texts me, <laughs> she always she always uses my time zone <laughs> all the time. And she just, and that like I think because of her math brain, because she has a math brain as an engineer, I think that. So can you explain? Well, let me explain what happens to my head. My head when I when You've I You've done this before on the podcast. Did I? Never mind that. We're, yeah. we're, we're moving on. No, okay. no. Some listeners, to some listeners, won't know. Some <laughs> listeners don't listen to every episode, or they've forgotten it, or okay. I so, shouldn't have even said anything. The way my brain works is that I have to visually. So like when I'm driving through LA, I have to know which direction I'm going. I have to know where basically how to get home if I did not have GPS. And LA is so big and massive. Like last night I was up somewhere where I've never been before. And I got so confused by just following highways that I had to look at my compass and say, okay, what direction am I going in to feel at all comfortable driving in my own city? Hmm. So I, I, I have to visually understand maps and I have a good sense of direction if I understand the map. So when I think of time zones, I think of there's four of them in the U.S. And so I actually count in my head, 1 p.m., your time is going to be 1, noon, 11, 10, my time. And I have to do that whole process in my head of like counting with the geographical time zones in my head to get back to where I am. How does your brain work, Mother, when you, when you have calculate the difference between your and my time zone? You're East Coast, I'm West Coast. I just subtract three hours. You just, just subtract three hours? Yeah. Because see, I get that. But this is this is this is the way my brain works. That's there's four of them, not three of them. So in my head, I, I if, I, if I just subtract three, I question that I do it right. And obviously, you subtract three. That's how you do it. That I mean uh-huh. that 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 makes sense. But in my head, when I visually, just like I need to visually see the city, I need to like count. Yeah, I just I just have memorized like it's an axiom for me that the that Pacific time is three hours behind Eastern. Um, yeah. Okay. I know that Mountain is two hours behind. I know that Central is an hour behind. I don't know. I just. I'm going to stop talking about how 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 confused my brain is by that because it just makes me sound really stupid. It doesn't. <laughs> well, 
Because no, no, but we've e- talked even, about this before. This was really important to me as a math teacher. It was really important for me to understand how different students learned different things. Because whenever I taught a new concept, I made sure to use like a real life example and to do something with graphs and to do something with um, just the formula and to do something with uh, like pictures because different brains work differently and you understand different concepts in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. I hate to say this. I'm not even going to say the word because I know this will trigger some listeners, but there, there, there is a program probably like 10 years ago that our nation proposed and it had some very weird ways of doing math uh-huh. that, that we all saw at least memes of. I didn't do any deep dive because I'm a priest. I'm not a teacher, but I, I, I'm, I'm realizing now that a lot of that was probably for brains like me. Like it was, it was, it was a lot of visuals and a lot of kind of storytelling in the, in the math. And that's Mm -hmm. probably because just for children like me, they wanted to adapt the whole system, Mm -hmm. which I do not recommend. Like let those who have mother's brain have mother's brain, but on a completely different, go ahead. No, that's okay. I interrupted Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. on a completely different topic. Something we have not talked about mother. I stopped mother from telling me about this (laughs) beforehand because I was like, you know what? That'd be a good topic for banter. Also, at the time, I had a different topic in mind, and I knew it wouldn't last that long. So I was like, "Hey, we'll 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 talk about that a bit." So um, <laughs> now, four minutes into the banter, um, can you, mother, explain what you told me about the discovery and the use of sourdough prosphora and how that works within our tradition and in the legal aspects of what we use for communion bread? Mini sure. topic asked by <clears throat> Father Michael O'Loughlin, who's a non-patron of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're kind of a patron. You donate your time instead of your money. Oh, I, I tell people all the time that does not count. You oh. need to separate the three during Lent. You, is the, the during Lent you need you cannot say like, "Well, I'm going to pray instead of fast." No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> I know, but and for time, treasure, talent in stewardship, time, treasure, and talent are three different things. That's fine. Does, does someone have to be contributing all three of those in order to be considered a supporter of our podcast, though? Not the podcast, but the parish, yes. That's fine. I'm not talking about your parish. I'm talking about our podcast. And I think the fact that you give your time it means that you support this podcast. You are completely right, as I know. always. And I would like to hear about Thank you. some uh, bread. <laughs> okay. Uh, so our monastery, this probably started during COVID. That's when sourdough kind of like blew up mm. for most people. Um mm. Because they were bored of at home. in recent times, yeah. Because it's like, what's something fun I can do at home and start whatever. So I think we probably started sometime around COVID getting into sourdough in our community, and by we I mean three of the other nuns got into this, and they were always like feeding their sourdough starter, and they named them and things like that, and I was like, that's so weird, uh, and. <laughs> But I really like sourdough and I enjoyed eating the bread that they made. So I was fully supportive. <laughs> and I liked it so much that I was like, we started talking about maybe making sourdough pasca bread and things like that. And I was like, I wonder, because I, I bake the prosfora, the communion bread for our community. And I was like, I wonder if I could make sourdough prosfora. And then prosfora like, is the bread we use. That becomes the Eucharist. Just mm-hmm. for those, yeah. Um, I thought I didn't. I just say that. Maybe. Okay. So it's your. I was your, paying attention. 
<laughs> I'm really not offended because I, I tell you that okay. all the time. I'm like, I said, can you repeat that? I wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyways, I wondered if sourdough prosciutto was a possibility, and then I was like, probably not. And then I got a cookbook from someone that was like an ethnic cookbook, and one of the very first recipes in it was sourdough prosciutto, and I was like, this is real. And then I realized, of course this is real because people wouldn't have in the past had active yeast in jars in their fridge. And so the naturally occurring yeast that happens with sourdough, that is what they would have used for yeast. <laughs> are you um, able and willing to explain what sourdough is for those of us oh, that are ignorant? I don't know. Okay. I sorry. don't know. It's I'm not really I don't really understand it. It's something you about don't need active yeast. Yeah, like the yeast is a naturally occurring thing that's taken up from the I think some of the like bacteria in the air or something like that. Okay. So something like that. So the yeah, so you don't add any yeast to sourdough. Okay. Now, isn't there, when we make prosciutto bread, you you only use flour, water, and yeast? Um, to be more specific, it's wheat, water, and yeast. Wheat, water, and yeast. The reason the- I make that specification, so I'm very, <laughs> Father Michael knows, I am very particular about my prosciutto. And- Your tone eight stance right now, by the way. <laughs> I was. So Sorry, I'm very joke. We'll stop. <laughs> I'm very particular about my prosciutto because I think that canon law is there for a reason. And our canon law says that it should be wheat, water, and yeast only. The canon law uses the word only. Okay. So I'm not about adding salt into my prosciutto. And some people do that. And um some people do that. And the and the the reason I specify wheat is because most people, I think, who are making prosfora buy the all-purpose flour from the store to make it. And most of the all-purpose flour that you buy from the store has barley in addition to wheat. And uh, I don't know what that means about the validity of the prosfora. <laughs> I'm not going to make any comments on that. But what I'm saying is if I'm going to make the prosfora... I <laughs> Valid but illicit to use Roman <laughs> terminology. So, uh, but I'm like, if I'm going to make the prosfora and I get to choose the flower, then I want to choose the flower that abides by the rules of canon law. And that's what I do. So, so I'm very particular about the kind of flower that I use uh, for my sourdough, which is why I didn't use the sourdough starter from the other nuns because I don't know what kind of flower has gone into that as they've fed it. It probably has barley in it. I used to create my. I I used um, starter from a priest friend of mine who also makes sourdough prosciutto, who's also very particular <laughs> in his uh, in his following of the flower rule. So. And by the way, I just I want to commend you because I actually agree. We should follow canon law. To the letter, we should. The reason why I said it's fine is if just don't judge your pastor. Yeah. Um, and by the I way, also there is a good. What is, some, is there? Someone there's a very sweet Russian girl who skateboarded up to our church right before I hit record, uh-huh. and I let her in. And she asked if I spoke Russian. I said no. She said, "Do you, do you speak Ukraine?" And I said, "No." 
And then she speaks English well enough. She's been in the U.S. for a year, and she just she's like this typical skater girl from Russia, and it's just really funny. She's now in front of the church, and she's doing either selfies or a video of her with the church in the background. And, just, <laughs> and she she's like doing all the poses and everything, like holding the phone up at an angle to get all the right angles for her. And it is just really funny. She, now she's doing the peace sign. Anyway, sorry. Oh, if she ever listens to this podcast now, she's going to be so embarrassed. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not insecure at all. She's just doing the typical the typical girl thing. And Whatever. Cool. So yes, I <laughs> when I go to... When I go to a liturgy, for instance, and I can taste salt in the prosphora when I receive communion, no part of me is thinking this isn't Jesus. Yeah, uh, so I, I totally agree with you. I think that, yeah. But for I, I think it's a matter of, in that case, like um, ignorance. I don't think it's a willful disobedience, or at least that's what I hope. And so I give the, the benefit of the doubt and, um, yeah. So. And I, as a priest, would love for someone to come up and say, you know, Father, it tastes salty. Doesn't our canon law say you shouldn't do that? I know some priests would be horribly offended by that. I know they would. I would not. Um, so feel free to, to if you if you taste something else in your post for that probably should not be there, um, feel free to explain that to those in charge in whatever way you feel would be the loving and gentle way to do that. Yeah. If it's me, just tell me bluntly. I mean, that's easy because you're not the one who makes the prosphora, <laughs> so it wouldn't be offensive to you. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, is even if I was, though, in seminary I was, oh. I was the one who made it. Did yeah. you use salt? I did not, <gasps> but Michael. I did use brown sugar because no, you holy schmolies, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I, for a split second, when I said no, you didn't, then for a split second I was like, oh my gosh, he's being serious. Okay. <sighs> All right. Okay, onto the topic. Are you noting the time? Yeah. Did you know both times? Okay. Um, I mean, just really the one. So we got a we got a mini topic. So again, mini topics are little mini topics you can give us that we spend no more than ten minutes on, usually, except for today, <laughs> on on a topic um, that you have your choosing that we kind of usually throw into the end of a podcast. And if you're if you're a supporter of our nonprofit that that helps the church and the poor in evangelization. A financial supporter. Apparently, supporting with time su- doesn't count if you listen to the banter. <laughs> this is very true. If you are a financial supporter, it's very written out. And it, it, this is, by the way, this is so hard for me to say. I just feel like I'm selling something. But Mother and I don't get any money from this at all. And all of our money goes to evangelization and the church yeah. and the poor and other missions. So we just we like so we like you supporting us. So thank you. But if you do support the poor in these things through our are there nonprofit Fotina. And through our Patreon, you can see the different levels, and you can one of the levels is you get to choose many topics. So, um, we are choosing today, and I'm going to expand on Oscar's mini topic. Um, so, Oscar asked about um, what we believe happens to a unbaptized baby when they die. This is obviously a big uh, debate in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, this would be. Babies who die during childbirth. This would be babies who die in the womb, who who die in a miscarriage. And this would be babies who die in abortion. Um, this would be babies who just are are born but but have a, you know a sudden infant death syndrome or something before they're baptized. I didn't know this uh, was a debate actually. Well, this is this is uh, like you just said. It's obviously a debate. I didn't know it was a debate. Is what I mean. It is a debate um, only because. Pope Benedict um, explained 
quite explicitly that the church does not hold limbo as a authoritative teaching in the church. Um, mm-hmm. And yet there are those who, since limbo was a concept theologically in the Roman church for a while, that that still hold to that and don't listen to his statements on that. So basically the, uh, the concept of limbo, as I understand it, again, I'm not Roman Catholic, so correct me Roman Catholics if, if I'm wrong here. The concept of limbo was, it was a, a scholastic way of allowing for the unbaptized who have not yet had any personal sin to not go to hell. So I really do think that that there was a concept in by some theologians for a while that, that unless you are baptized with water and then and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of the Trinity, then you just went to hell. And so obviously babies who were without any personal sin who died before baptism then some would have said they went to hell. And and the church just that just didn't seem right. I mean, I'm just, I'm speaking humanly here. And so so some theologians came up with the concept of limbo. Limbo was a place that was, as I understand it, not really heaven, not hell, but it was it was a place in between the two where there was no suffering, but you also weren't with our Lord in heaven. In so the it's same also way. not purgatory. Correct. Correct. Was it was it supposed to be? Sorry, I'm foreign. This is a foreign concept to me. Is yeah. is limbo, which means maybe it is to some of our listeners, is lim, was limbo uh, theoretically like a a temporary state? Until going to heaven, or it's like a forever no. thing. Correct. That, so, okay. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. But as I understand it, limbo <laughs> was probably—I I don't want to speak out of turn here—but as far as I understood, it, it was a permanent state that was probably like part of heaven, but not quite heaven. Okay. Um, but it was, I believe, as I, far as I understand, it was a permanent state for those who died without personal sin but were unbaptized, namely babies in this situation. Okay. Um, Pope Benedict. Uh, wrote and we can look up the the reference to this, but he wrote basically that that was that was what some theologians said, but that's that's really not that's not how we understand what happens to babies who die before they're baptized. Um, and basically, he said, and I love this concept that that it's really not ours to speak authoritatively on it because it's our place to say we need to baptize babies, but it is our place to have an immense hope in Jesus Christ that that He is going to bring the unbaptized babies into union with him. Mm-hmm. And this is a hope that, that I know some personalities like mine can rest in that. I just go, yes, of course, that makes sense. Um, from a Roman Catholic perspective, other people really struggle with that because they really want to know. And be able, And I think that's where the concept of limbo came from, that that desire to have something to bite down on where, where you're not just living in hope, but you're living in, in kind of knowledge and reason. Um, and and so th- this is what the church has been dealing with these things for a while. Um, we Byzantines just never really got scholastic about it. Um, but also, then th- I don't have the time for this whole this whole concept. This would be a whole another topic or two. Um, but our understanding of original sin is also slightly different. Um, it de- provides a different perspective. Um, on the the typical Roman Catholic understanding of original sin, all this goes back to Romans five twelve. This goes back to Adam and Eve and and what death is and what what Adam's guilt is, etc. Um, but basically, we in the East put more emphasis on the personal sin that leads to separation from God rather than the the sin that that we are born with, whether you call it an ancestral sin, original sin. So basically it's easier for us in our Eastern mindset to say, if the baby has not sinned, then 
they go to God. You know that, that, that there there is more of an emphasis on on personal sin separating us from God rather than any sort of ancestral um, damage that came from you know the sin of our forefathers, I our think, ancestors. Go can ahead. I can I say one thing before we sure. delve into it? I I guess I I would challenge hmm, how to say this. My concern when when people get caught up in that questioning of like, is this baby who, which I'm not saying, I'm not saying Oscar is doing this. I have no idea why Oscar was asking the question or like there was no context given, but, um, but just in general, when people are asking the question of, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm just going to be bold because I don't know when, when you're questioning if a baby has, like what happens to a baby who's unbaptized basically, I would encourage you to sit in prayer with what is your concept of God and who do you think God the Father is? Like, how does God the Father act? Because it it reminds me of, you know, some people were, I had conversations with multiple people during COVID who were up in arms about the fact that certain people didn't get last rites. And so then it's like, because some bishops weren't allowing priests to give last rites during COVID. And, and I'm, I'm making no commentary on whether or not that was the right decision. I don't have the authority to make that commentary and any of that. That's not the point of this. But I know some people who were very bothered by the fact that certain people didn't get the last rites. And so they're really concerned about what happened to that person. Um, because they weren't able to go to confession before they died. And um, so basically, you know, they're saying like, because of the bishop's decision, this person now is going to go to hell, uh, is more or less what people, some people were worried about. And, and while I appreciate the concern for someone's soul, I really think we need to, in those situations, look at what our view is of the father, because he's not this like, um, and go back and listen to, if you haven't um, and you're at all finding yourself in this boat, I would listen to the podcast that I did on scrupulosity. I don't remember what I called it, but it was about scrupulosity and when I almost died and how Jesus really broke me of some of my scrupulosity. Because it's not just this matter of, well, if we just happen to find ourselves in a particular circumstance that isn't even of our choosing, and we just happen to not have a priest around, and we would go to confession if there was a priest, and we just can't, and um, well, then God the Father is going to kind of clap his hands and say, well, look where you got yourself, and now you're just um, condemned forever because yeah. because the bishop didn't let this priest come to you. And it's like, if that's the, if that's the idea, then what about all of the people who died in labor camps? And... Um, many of whom were martyrs, you know, like what about, uh, and, and situations like that. And so I ask the same question, or I would encourage people to ask the same question. If you're worried about the unbaptized babies of like, I just can't imagine in my view of who our loving father is, who says that he gives good gifts to his children, that he's going to allow a two day old baby to die and then not welcome that baby into his arms just because the parents failed to have him baptized or there wasn't a priest around or they didn't know the baby was dying or anything like that. 
Absolutely. And I, and I, I think another concept of this is, that is very important is we, and this is, this is straight out of um, Carol Hauslander's book, Read of God, but she mm. basically says for those that are scrupulous and those who are presumptive, both of those polar opposites have a misunderstanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we we point to ourselves, say, "Well, I'm this way." No, no, you. It's 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 the way you see God that that is allowing you to maintain and to remain in that mindset. So that is completely true. It's it's who we think God is. We need to be. And again, we 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 become so obsessed in our culture with. Um, like movements and projects and programs in the church and all these things, we we've kind of forgotten that our main goal is to to engage with God, to mm-hmm. learn about Him, to love Him, and how that that is the the main message, not just parish numbers or money or programs and things like this. Like, do we go back to who is God and do I understand Him correctly? And therefore, am I growing in holiness and in union with Him? Um, that is so true. So I think the thing to understand in these situations is is there is an aspect of the unknowing. There, There's always going to be a mystery, right? We have the concept, we think we know who God is, but of course that's one of the aspects of the title of our podcast, what God is not. We need to understand where we're wrong. Um, and and again, that that's a secondary meaning of core of apophatic theology. The primary meaning is just the objective study of who God is, invisible, inconceivable, ineffable, et cetera. But there, there's a real aspect to this. And I think it's important to say, if we believe something like during COVID, and I'll just throw that out there too, if if the bishops or the priests are wrong and they're not ministering to their people, um, you know, you're make sure your understanding of God is is being corrected and is is correct and moving in that direction. That's always should be a hesitation we have in a in a sense a holy insecurity we should have. Do I know enough? Am I saying the right thing? And then just make sure you pray for the person. You know, rather than mm-hmm. going on Twitter and just raging on somebody and saying this person is probably in hell, pray for them. Like you can do that. And then the secondary thing is you can again try to correct your leaders. But when when you, when we correct our leaders out of love. We need to do it like, do you really think spouting off on Twitter or writing the bishop a rage letter is going to do anything? Mm-hmm. Is it really, is that like, again, maybe it will. Maybe the spirit told you to do that. Maybe it will actually do that. But I think most of the time, I mentioned before, I got a letter from from one of our mutual friends who really wanted a Saturday evening liturgy in my parish in Denver. And he was so traditional in every way, except he said in this way, I know that Saturday evening liturgies are not traditional, but I think it'd be really helpful to the people if you added a Saturday evening liturgy. I know you don't like this idea. So if you decide to to ignore my pleas, I will support you 100%. I will tell people I support you and I will be obedient because you're the pastor of this parish. And it was like, it was so beautiful because he mm-hmm. understood my responsibility to make these decisions and to have the final word other than the bishop. Um, but he also spoke his mind clearly, succinctly, gently, and powerfully, very much you know, encouraging. And I thought that, that, that he knew that this is the way to my heart. You know, mm-hmm. he knew that this is the way to try to convince me. So anyway, right, you you can write to these authorities to get these things figured out. Um, because there is a lot of mystery in this. We don't know, you know, and then that that's where I think Pope Benedict was so eloquent. We don't know. So we, we, we God has revealed certain things he hasn't. So in the things we don't know, we have great hope. We make sure the understanding of God is correct. We 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 write to our bishops and say, We need last rites. This is given to us by the church. And I, I really do feel that you're restricting something that is a gift from God. And Yet I have this immense hope because I because Jesus is a loving person who wants me to be with Him. That mm-hmm. if there's a neglect in some way, God's still going to fill up what is lacking in a mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. 
Yes, amen. So thank you for that. That is that is very very true. All right. Um, so basically, rather than just spouting off in the unknown about what I don't know about about children, um, I wanted to compare in this episode. I wanted to compare what we call the hymns of farewell, and these are part of our funeral service. <coughs> these are our beautiful prayers, um, and and you'll notice that in our culture, a lot of people now instead of having a funeral, they have what's called a celebration of life. And maybe even some of you have done this and, and there's a, a hesitation um, to mourn nowadays. There's a hesitation to be sad. There's hesita- a hesitation to um, not hope. And, and people really do want to say, my loved one is in heaven. Like they, 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 and that brings them peace. Um, but death is... Death is not intended by God. Death is something that sin brought into the world. Mm-hmm. And so death is always an evil thing. And 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 so the confusion about death is not a bad thing. You know, that this is something that sin brought into the world, uh, the unknown of death. And and again, when somebody dies, resist the temptation to say until they're canonized, this person is in heaven. Our role is to pray for them and there's and mourning can be a good thing. So I want you to listen to these hymns of farewell, these prayers. These hymns are done at various times in different traditions, but we I've generally done them while people are coming up to do what's called the final kiss. Um, basically, traditionally, we have we have an open casket in the church, and then people either in the church or at the gravesite will will come up and actually kiss the dead body. And this seems so weird to our American mindsets, but you know I do it every single time. There's someone who's dead, and you come and do the final kiss, the final farewell. And then these hymns are being prayed um, in our tradition while that's being done. And what I want to do for the remainder of this episode is to compare the hymns of farewell for an adult, someone who has sinned, and then compare those to a child who has not sinned, who, Mm -hmm. as as our prayers say, are under the age of reason. Um, And by the way, there there is, I don't want to say debate, but there is, um, I have not, heard anything authoritative so again listeners correct me if I'm wrong about about doing one of these funerals for um a baby who is who was like miscarried or 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 died by abortion um I would do this funeral for those and I have done this funeral for miscarried babies because I, I think it just makes sense um and for aborted babies too um so anyway here, here's I'm going to read. I'm going to read through kind of in chunks. And Mother Natalia, please jump in um, if there's any thoughts on this. But I just want you to sit with this a bit and 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 realize these are ancient hymns and how different they are from our modern concept of trying to know where the person is and then having a celebration at a funeral rather than actually allowing mourning to be. What mourning is a beautiful human response to the unknown and the confusion and the loss of, of the death of a loved one. And mourning, I really do think is a really good thing and our ancient hymns have leaned into this. So these hymns of farewell are a, as you will see, a conversation between those of us who mourn and the person who's dead. So I'm gonna read the first two paragraphs um, that are on, that are where we're singing these, a beautiful, beautiful, mournful tone, a Podobin tone too. We're, we're singing these and we're, we're talking to each other. And these, these are those of us who are standing looking at the dead body and, and mourning. As you're, as you're doing this, I'm also looking up um, some, I, they might be the hymns of farewell, I'm not sure, but uh, from the service of a priest who's died as well. Nice, so. beautiful, beautiful. So we'll compare those three then mm-hmm. as, as you look them up, Mother. Come, let us give thanks to God. 
which I think is a beautiful beginning, by the way. <laughs> we always start by giving thanks. <laughs> Come, let's give thanks to God and bid a last farewell to the departed, for he is leaving his relatives and is hastening to the grave, no longer concerned about vanities and his human passions. Where now are his relatives and friends? Behold, we part. Let us pray to the Lord for his repose. Tell us now, brother, where do you go from us silently and without a word? Look back and console your weeping relatives and comfort your friends. Behold the grief and the tears that we shed for you. Where now are your relatives and friends? Behold, we part. Indeed, all human endeavor is vanity. Hmm. So there's this, there's this, this self-reflection and here we are, his relatives and friends gathered around his grave and, and we're, we're, leaning into the confusion as that second paragraph says, tell us where do you go from us silently without a word? In other words, kind of please explain where you're going because we don't know. We are confused where we, this is a mystery to us. And yet you, the soul who has died, you, you are, you are on your way. Also the Eastern, Eastern understanding of what happens after death is, is more of a, an elongated process than most would say in the Western mindset where you just kind of die and you're, you're at the throne of God. Um, there's kind of a process of passing through um, the heavens that Jesus purified by his ascension. I have talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, but you'll, you'll see that reflected a bit in these hymns. The next paragraph is, is the, from the deceased. Now he speaks. I go to the Lord God, my judge, to stand before his judgment seat and to answer for my deeds. I implore you, pray for me, that the Savior may be merciful to me on judgment day. Behold, we part indeed all human endeavor is vanity. So he's, he's going to our Lord, going to the judgment seat and, and begging for prayers as he goes. Mm. We continue. Now all the senses are idle. Yet a short time ago, they were filled with life. All are useless, dead and numb. The eyes have closed, the feet and the hands lie helpless and the ears are deaf. The tongue is silent, committed to the grave. Indeed, all human endeavor is vanity. I like this repeated refrain. <laughs> <laughs> I do as well. I do as well. And this is this is the memento mori. You know, this is the mm -hmm. remember you will die to all human endeavor is vanity. And when we're looking at someone who is now all human endeavor is ended in the deceased, um, it's just beautiful. Continuing, when the angels of death seize the soul from the body, it forgets all family and friends and concerns itself with all that will withstand the judgment, and it will terminate. It will terminate vain and laborious pursuits. Then let us all pray and implore the judge that the Lord may forgive all of his frailties. Mm. Again, we're, we're responding to the plea of the deceased because um, <clears throat> as, as both traditions would say, basically, especially in the, in the process of purgation, um, you, there's not much you can do for yourself. You know, you, you're, you're depending on the others. And so in a sense, as this reflects, um, you forget all family and friends. That's obviously not the case in heaven, um, but there is the case shortly after death where there's this kind of uh, your priorities have become straight and you're looking at God and you're asking people to pray for you. And I think this is a really significant reminder for people because I feel like this is a lost art in um, in our in our society. 
lost art is not the right mm. phrase, but like we, we forget this need to pray for the deceased, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or it's like yeah. we do it at the funeral and then never again. And, yeah. um, you know, I've really, I've only recently started actually marking on my calendar, the anniversaries of mm. deaths of the people in my family. So that I remember to pray for them on their anniversaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so and in our Byzantine tradition, every Saturday is a is a day for, to pray for the dead. So mm-hmm. Saturdays should remind us um, that this is a day to pray for the deceased. And we have I, the five I, also Saturdays of the year. Exactly, that we do that very intentionally. And I love I love the Roman Catholic tradition of the Divine Mercy Hour. You know, three o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. And there's just something when Jesus died, we we remember those who have died. Like anything like that that helps us remember um, to pray for the deceased is a good thing. All right, continuing on, consider our life. It is indeed like a flower and smoke and morning dew. Come therefore, let us look at the graves. Where is the natural beauty? Where is the youth? Where is the vision? Where is the physical form? Everything is withered like grass. Everything is vanished. Come in tears, let us adore Christ. Mm-hmm. So again, it's- In it's, tears. I, <laughs> in tears, let us adore Christ. I, I love how mm-hmm. this, all these prayers begin with Thanksgiving. And then like this one that is- in in our modern mindset, I think most people say that's that's leading to despair, but mm-hmm. it's absolutely not. It, it's understanding what fades away and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. What fades away is everything: our bodies, our brains. All these things fade away. Um, you know, all is vanity, all human endeavor, and yet that paragraph finishes with "Come, let us in tears, let us adore Christ." Remember that He conquered this thing that we are looking at. He conquered death. He became a a body that did not. Corrupt. They did not fade away, and and that when he rose, he welcomed us into immortal life with him in heaven. So there's this in, in the very human understanding, the human mourning, the human tears that we're weeping at this time because we've lost a loved one. We must remember to thank God, and in this case, to adore Christ, who conquered this thing that we are so debilitated by right now. Continuing on, brethren, consider this departure, such lamentation and weeping. Come, let us bid farewell to the departed, for he is being committed to the grave and covered with a stone. He enters in the darkness, takes his place with the dead, and thus is separated from his friends and family. Let us pray to the Lord for his repose. Again, this this separation that 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 we feel very deeply, and yet Christ has made, of course, that's why we adore him, why we thank him, has made death. Um, powerless, he's conquered it and made it a transition to eternal <laughs> life. Um, so we still don't understand that death is still a mystery to us, um, but we 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 rely and have hope in in Jesus Christ what He offered. Please jump in, Mother. I'm just going to kind of keep on going unless you have um, an insight. No, nope, keep going. Do. Okay. Then we say glory to the Father, to the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and then the the dead speaks again. Brethren, friends, relatives, and neighbors, weep for me as you see me here speechless and lifeless. Yesterday I spoke with you and suddenly there came upon me the awesome hour of death. Mm. Come all you that love me and bid me farewell, for I shall no longer walk with you or speak with you. I go to the judge who has no favorites. The servant and the master stand together in equal honor before him, as do king, soldier, rich, and poor. For everyone shall either be glorified or disgraced according to his deeds. But I beg and implore all to continually pray for me to Christ our God, so that I may not be doomed to the place of torture because of my sins. Rather, may he place me where there is the light of life. 
I really love the line about, uh, I do not speak with you as I did yesterday or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's similar to a line that I want to point out in the, in the hymns for a, at a priest's funeral, but the, I, I like it because it, it points out that similar to what <laughs> you're saying of like, there's still this, this human grief of, and there's still this, this fact that, that death is an objective evil, uh, that God works through and uses for good. Um, because like, yes, we still have the communion of saints and we have all of these beautiful spiritual answers to our grief. Uh, but also we're not talking to them in the same way that we talked to them yesterday, (laughs) you know? And I, I just love that reminder of like, this does feel different and, and it's not natural. It's supernatural. There is a supernatural communion there, but it's not that natural communion that we had before. And, and we have to be allowed to, to grieve that and to know that this is different and to, yeah, it's like we don't shame people for being hungry when they don't have food just because, well, in heaven there's not food. And so um, why why should you feel hungry? You should be living for the eternal. It's like, <laughs> no, we still have bodies and we still have these yes. natural... Anyways, yeah. yeah amen. Um, and then I, when you were saying that, I, I want to point ahead and do a little teaser for the hymns of farewell for children because mm-hmm. it, it kind of, it shows... The, the difference between this someone who has sinned and then then the hymns of hell for someone who hasn't but and then finally uh, now and ever and forever amen and then we talk to mary as we always do talk to the theotokos o mother of the never setting sun who gave birth to god save those who trust in you we beseech you intercede through your prayers before the most gracious god to commit the departed to the abode where the souls of the just repose o ever immaculate Present him in the court of the saints as an heir to the treasure of heaven and for eternal memory. So we, we, I like how we call her the ever immaculate. That that's, that's a reference in a sense to the she did not, her body did not decompose. You know, mm-hmm. she died, and and the the apostles were gathered at her funeral. Um, but we we we're now beseeching her to do what we're doing. Please pray to God to save this soul and to bring this soul into union with Him. All right, um, we're going to do another podcast on the funerals in general, and then I want to talk about the hymns of Saint John Damascene because the hymns of Saint John Damascene kind of lend to all of this. But that's part mm-hmm. of the the greater funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, so now moving to the the hymns of farewell for a, a a child who died before the age of reason. And again, I'm I'm going to say pastorally that this is the funeral I use both for any sort of tragedy of a child that's died before the age of, of reason or um, for a tragedy like a miscarriage or, or an abortion as well. So pre or post birth. Um, so here's the prayers. Hymns of farewell. There's only, there's only um, three paragraphs and then the glory now endeavor rather than the longer one. Who would not lament, O my child, your mournful departure from this life. As an infant, you have left your mother's embrace. Like a fledgling, you have now swiftly flown away and have returned to the creator of all. O child, who would not weep at the sight of your countenance, once like a beautiful lily? Who would not lament, O my child, and tearfully not regret the loss of the loveliness and the beauty of your life? 
for you have quickly vanished from sight like a ship which leaves no trace. Come, my friends, relatives, and neighbors, and with me bid farewell to the one whom we are committing to the grave. Death is a release for children, for being free from the evils of life and having attained rest, they exult with heavenly joy in the bosom of Abraham. Having joined the heavenly choirs of holy children, now they rejoice and constantly exult with them, for they have escaped untouched by the corrupt attachment to sin. Oh, untouched. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That third paragraph is very powerful. Death is a release for children from being freed from the evils of life and having attained rest, they exult with heavenly joy in the bosom of Abraham. I mean, that, that's as close mm-hmm. as you get to saying, we know they're with our Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in the bosom of Abraham and yet they they use that in the sense that that word that our Lord uses in the parable, but also um, a kind of an Old Testament term, but having joined the heavenly choirs of holy children, you know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. like there's this there's this assurance that is there that is pretty much as, as close as we come. And this is, I'm sure I've shared the story before about the baby that I, that I baptized um, a friend of mine's baby that had a heart condition and they knew that the baby would only live an hour or so, even if well, maybe only minutes, of course, doctors never know. So as soon as the baby was born, the doctor rushed me in and I, I baptized this baby. And then I was able to, you know, just look at him and think, you know, you're, he was crying and coughing and, and sneezing and all the things that, you know, brand newly born infants do, but I knew he wasn't going to live past mm-hmm. an hour. And it was such a powerful, powerful moment. And yet I thought, you know, my life is, as I've shared before, my life is going to be God willing, 80, 90 years lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of suffering, lots of sin, lots of forgiveness. And yet you little one and I are gonna end up in the same place, God willing, you know, we're both gonna be up in heaven and I'll be sharing with you my war stories and we'll both be in the unit with God. And I'm like, and you're, you're here too. And you literally just lived an hour outside of the womb and nine mm-hmm. months in the womb. You know, what a, are such a mystery all this is um, to us. And yet it's of course so clear to God. So we have that hope. All right, and then we, we finish with similar prayers. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Pain came to Adam first in Eden. When deceived by the serpent, he tasted of the tree. Thereby did universal death, which destroys man, enter the world. But then the master came, deposed to the servant, and granted repose to us. Let us therefore cry out to him, spare, O Savior, and with your elect, grant rest to those you have chosen. Now and ever and forever, amen. O Virgin Mother of God, you are the consolation to those who mourn and deliverance to those who, to the deliverance to the weak. Save our city and its people. You are peace to those at war. You are a haven in the storm. You are the only defender of the faithful. I appreciate that uh, in the Theotokian, um, in that last prayer, uh, there is still that shout out to you're the consolation for those who mourn. Mm-hmm. Like the parents of this baby are still mourning. The yeah. the family who has to let go um, is still mourning. And um, despite all of these prayers that we've had of like basically assurance <laughs> mm-hmm. of, of this child's eternal life. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's just that, that small shout out there, which I appreciate. It is, and it's a it's it's a little teaser for our another episode we'll do on funerals where we will talk about the the concept that 
again, we Byzantines love living in the mystery, in mm-hmm. the the unknown and yet revealed, the the confusion of things, because it encourages us to be humble and to trust in God, because we can't bite down on something that is black and white. Um, we really, at, at heart, love that, and so we have this concept that I think is so beautiful. And again, it's not it's not done with any sort of authority. It's done with great hope, and that's that at a funeral. If for someone who has sinned, namely someone who's not a child, um, we Byzantines give them absolution after death. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a sacramental absolution. It's we just have a great hope that that through our prayers and the, the prayers of absolution that that you'll hear when we do this episode, the prayers of absolution under like they they announce and proclaim that uneasiness, that unknown. But basically we're telling God as much as, as a priest is celebrating this funeral and the power given to the apostles by Jesus Christ to bind and to loose, um, we are with every gift given to us and everything we can muster, we are, are saying that Jesus forgives sins and he has forgiven the sins of this person. And we even use the word absolution. The priest says, this soul is absolved as far as we know, as far as we can do. And then he puts a the, those words of absolution prayers, rolls up in a scroll and puts them in the deceased's hand. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very human way to say when you get to the when you get to the the throne of God and get to these even this process of getting to heaven when when you are being attacked by demons this this Easter concept of of kind of the process of getting to our Lord you're being attacked by demons and carried by angels you kind of have this statement in your hand no look mm-hmm. look I have a, I have the prayers of absolution to show you right now it's in a sense my 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 ticket to pass through it, it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the 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 testimony, the letter from the king that allows me to to process, to go through this area. In a sense, he he vouches for me. And it, it's this this prayer of absolution that the person has. And and yet we don't we do this because why not? You know, God is still God. We have immense hope. We're not saying that that's the case. We're just saying we've done as much as we can as a church and as those who pray for these. But I think the devil has really convinced people not to mourn, not to pray for the dead, not to understand the traditions of these things. And it is such a loss because the deceased, as we heard in the prayers for those who have sinned, the, the deceased are, are really begging us for this and depending on this, on us for this in a very real way, as far as we understand that God has asked us to pray for the dead. Can I can I briefly talk about this um, funeral that I was at for yeah, a priest Sorry. friend? That yes, is, please no, do. it's really relevant to it. That was actually a great springboard because um, it's this, what you're saying of there's this temptation to not mourn and to not pray for the dead. And, um, you know, it's kind of like one of the, I'm just thinking of this, but the part of the beauty of the mourning is that it, the mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, uh, is the reminder to pray for the dead even you know i've talked about how sometimes when i'm when i'm offering a particular fast for someone like say i'm i'm just making this one up but say i'm going to like not drink anything but water then on a particular day or whatever then uh if i'm it's not simply a matter i think this is part of it but it's not simply a matter of the sacrifice is offered for the person but it's also like when i go to have a cup of tea and then i remember oh i'm not doing that today, uh, then I say a short prayer for the person for whom I'm fasting. So it's like the fast is also a reminder to pray. And I think similarly, when we have those moments of grief that come up in our hearts, uh, that can be a reminder for us to pray for the repose of the soul of this person. And yes, do you, do you want to say something about that? No, 
please. Okay. Uh, so I had this really frustrating experience <laughs> when I was at. Uh, so I, I shared with you all um, about the 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 death of my friend Father John Kachuba, who we in one of our podcasts we shared his homily, his last homily that he gave at the monastery um, because he drove home from the monastery, our monastery. Uh, he drove home and then died when he got home. And so like liturgy in our chapel was the last thing he did on this earth, which is just beautiful. Um, and I think it also made a couple priests scared to come have liturgy for us, but uh, <laughs> actually though. Um, so anyways, I, I had grown close to Father John in the months preceding his death. His death very much came as a surprise. And, uh, and, and so it was difficult on a human level, right? And, and I got the news of his death while I was at home for my grandma's funeral. And so I'm sitting at my parents' house the day of my grandma's funeral and get this call, or the day after my grandma's funeral, it was a Sunday, and get this call from the monastery saying Father John Kachuba had died. And, uh, which was very shocking. And so when I come back to the monastery, I go to Father John's funeral and the the funeral service for a priest is incredible. It's so beautiful and it lasts three days, which I think is really beautiful because I don't know that this was the intention, but I think that there's this beauty of of Jesus being in the tomb for three days. And so the funeral service for a priest, the different parts of it last for three days. And um, probably originally it was much longer, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I was able to go to a couple of the different parts. And when I was there, I just wept for the whole thing. I wept for the whole thing. And there wasn't like, it was a quiet weeping. It was the kind of thing where the tears are just streaming down your face. Um, I wasn't unable to recite the prayers. I wasn't like sobbing or making a scene or anything like that, right? I'm just very quietly weeping, um, blowing my nose every once in a while. <clears throat> and after one of after the first service, one of the priests comes up to me and scolds me basically for crying at this priest's funeral because he's like, "You're a nun and you should have faith," and um, wow, and scolds me. Um, wow. and and I am furious, <laughs> and I just respond to this priest. Um, and I didn't yell at him. I didn't, but I just said, Father John was my friend and I love him and miss him. And Jesus wept when Lazarus died and I walked away. <laughs> um, and, uh, or something along those lines. And the next, the next day I'm at the next service and I come across these prayers during the service that just support everything I just said to this, to this priest. Um, and so this is, again, I, I took pictures of the booklet. This is from the second evening. Uh, I don't know if they're hymns of farewell. I don't know what they're considered. But um, And anyways, the people are singing, and then the response is, Alleluia, and then, um, and uh, yeah, so I'll just share this one that really struck me. Let us all be consumed with tears when we behold these earthly remains as we draw near to bid farewell. Behold, 
You have abandoned us who love you. We're speaking to the deceased here. You have abandoned us who love you. You speak no more to us, O friend, with us, O friend. Why do you not speak with us as you did before? Again, this is very similar to the one you were reading. Now you keep silence when before you sang with us, Alleluia. And then the response is Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. And then um, the next the next hymn is accompany the dead, O friends, and approach the grave with care. Look intently and with understanding and brace yourself for what you will see there. All youthful appearance has vanished. The bloom of life has faded away. There you will see dust and ashes. All is silence and there no man says, Alleluia. <clears throat> and then we start to hear the deceased speaking in this back and forth, similar to what, what you shared in the others. I will remember you, my brothers, and my children and friends. Remember me when you pray to the Lord. I entreat you, I beseech and implore you that you learn by heart this thing I ask and mourn for me night and day. As Job said to his friends, I also say to you again and again, sing Alleluia. And so it's like this pleading from the departed to, um, to remind us to pray for him. And um, yeah, that just like, it brought me a lot of consolation of just, this is the right thing. Like mourning is good and, and weeping over this death is good. And when we look at um, the body of someone who has died, this is not what we're used to seeing. And it's not how it was meant to be because we're not made for decay. We're not made for these things to fade away. We're not made for any of this. Like we're made for eternal life. We're made for eternal youth. We're made for eternal beauty. And, um, and it reminded me too of, um, the one thing I was like, well, you know, the thing that this priest does have, um, the one who scolded me is I'm like, in in First Thessalonians, St. Paul does say, um, chapter four, verse 13, he says, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know the exact thing because um, that's, well, my weakness. Anyways, uh, but he says, don't mourn for the dead the way the pagans do. Um, like, don't mourn as those who have no hope. And so I was like, well, this priest, this priest, you know, did have that going for him. And uh, so I looked up this verse and looked up some of the commentary on it from the fathers. And two of the ones that I found I wanted to share, one is from Augustine of Hippo, who says, Paul didn't just say that you may not be saddened, but that you may not be saddened as the heathen are who do not have any hope. It is unavoidable after all that you should be saddened. But when you feel sad, let hope console you. And this is like, it reminds me of the definition of despair that I gave in an old podcast that I just totally made up. And so probably I'm not allowed to make up my own definitions, but that to despair is to not see meaning in your suffering. Um, so it's like, I'm not despairing in this morning, right? I'm not despairing in this grief as as do the pagans who have no hope. I'm saying, um, yes, I pray for this 
for this man. And I pray for, for his um, resurrection and for all of these things. And, and I have hope in the resurrection, but also I'm sad that he can't have coffee with me on Sundays anymore. And also I'm sad that we can't have discussions about, um, about the married priesthood and um, how he helped to bring that back to our eparchy and things like that. And so, and the other commentary I wanted to share is from Gregory of Nyssa and, um, and so Gregory of Nyssa says, at the time that Basil, great among the saints, left the life of man and went to God, and a common onset of grief descended upon the churches, my sister and teacher, this is Macrina, was still alive, and I hurried to her to tell her the sad news about our brother. She, however, like those who are skilled in the equestrian art, first allowed me to be swept along for a little while by the violence of my grief. And after this, tried to restrain me, guiding the disorder of my soul with her own ideas as if with a bridle. Um, and then she quoted St. Paul. And then, and then Gregory of Nyssa says, And I, with my heart still seething with pain, asked, How is it possible for me to achieve this attitude, since there is a natural aversion to death in each person, and no one can endure the sight of others dying? And those who are dying themselves flee from it as much as they can. Um, and so it's like, I just, I just appreciate, I appreciate especially the Gregory of Nyssa one because it's like acknowledging, yes, in an ideal world and when we are totally perfected in virtue, um, we can say that this death leads to life and, and it is nothing but rejoicing. <laughs> but right now, while we're human, death is still like, there's this aversion to it because it's not how it was meant to be. And, um, and this is a weakness and it's a, yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's only a weakness. I think it's an acknowledgement that we don't know. I mean, it, sure. it's, we, yeah. we, we shouldn't like mourning is mourning is not just saying I'm sad, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm suffering because I want this person here and they're not here. I think true mourning is kind of like the weeping in the garden that Jesus did, right? He mm -hmm. was most many have said he was kind of weeping because there were there will be many who don't accept what he's about to do. You know, he's weeping for them. So there's a we we our mourning and our insistence upon prayer is because you know some souls may go to hell. You know, mm -hmm. it's we like we we don't we don't know. So yes, it's a it's a passage to eternal life, but eternal life is not only good. Mm -hmm. You know, so so we we Christians, yes, we we have hope and <laughs> in, in immense hope in Jesus, but sin is real, you know, and and there's there's a need to pray for the deceased, and so the mourning is is in our own inability that we will never have unless a person is canonized. Our own inability to really know that that they are with our Lord. We have this great hope in Jesus and mm -hmm. and in His forgiveness of sin, but I think I think that's that's a part of the mourning too. It's it's not it's it's very much as the prayers say, a, a human thing. I miss this person, mm -hmm. but it's also I have not been given the gift of of true knowledge in in where this person is, and so I I I, I mourn for that. I mourn because I don't like that state of unknowing and the yeah. fact that they could be could be bad. No, I think that's a good point. I also I know we need to wrap up, but um, I think it's also. I wish I had way more time to talk about this, but it's a nuance that at least needs mentioned um, because I've spent 
most of my time speaking on this podcast about how we need to mourn and we need to grieve and it's okay and it's natural and all of that. And I stand by everything that I just said. But at the same time, there can be an opposite tendency, opposite tendency to just sit and wallow in the grief. Um, and that's also not okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I agree we need to not have this tendency to just push away the mourning altogether, but we also need to fight the tendency to just wallow in the grief. Um, like it shouldn't be debilitating. It shouldn't be that we can't continue to live. Like we who are left behind on this earth need to continue to live and... Um, and to, to be present to the people who are still here with us and and to pray for the deceased and so on and so forth. And so there just, I mean, there needs to be this this balance, right? It's it's ever holding those things in tension of of the mourning while also still because there can also be this guilt of like feeling like we can't enjoy life because of mm-hmm. um because of someone else's death or because of terrible things happening in the world. And um and Christ came that we might have joy and have it to the full. Yeah, very good point. I know, I know many soldiers who have been to war who feel that you know they have they have you know survivors' remorse and survivors' yeah. guilt, and that's a really really hard thing. So, mm-hmm. okay, well, thank you all for listening. Um, usual spiel. You can uh, find us and share what we have put out on all the various social media. We are on. Uh, we are on all of the formats as well, all of the platforms. So please do, if you find this helpful, please do share it with others. Um, we do have a, as we mentioned earlier, thank you, Oscar, for the mini topic. And you can look us up on Patreon, P A T R E O N, just look up what God is not. And you can support it on a nonprofit called Fotina, Fotina.org. Thank you for all those who are supporting us. We appreciate it immensely. And yet another shout out, one of the other benefits you get as a listener in general is if you are in Steubenville, Ohio and want to go to Chesterton Cigar Bar, uh, let us know. Send us an email at whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com and we will make sure that you get in, get a free cigar, get access to the lounge um, and can enjoy that because we get five free cigars put in there every single month. And uh, I know that some of those are not being used. So make your way out to Steubenville and enjoy a cigar on us. Uh, we also support the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the naked, the ill, and the imprisoned. We also give money to our parishes and to our bishops, uh, to the, the, our eparchies, the church. Um, and we, uh, we also give to similar projects that are doing evangelization like us as well every month. We have a board that decides where these things go. So thank you all for supporting us. Uh, we have a Goodreads page where you can see what we're reading. I need to update that. I'm realizing I've finished like three books since I've updated it. Um, and you, we can see what you're reading. Our media team is great at keeping ahead of that. And I think that's everything I covered. Um, so prayer intentions. Um, can I give I five shout outs oh, to patrons first? Um, people who do support us on Patreon. We have Nick M from Michigan, who I love very much. Uh, Joseph R. from North Carolina. Ed S. from Colorado. Shout out to Colorado, the whole state. Jack H. from Alabama. And Angel K. No address. So thank you for supporting us. Amen. Thank you all for supporting us. Uh, Prayer intentions. Um, I would like to 
kind of reflect upon what you said in prayer, Mother, about um, those who who kind of sit in in the morning too long. Um, I I know that happens a lot, and I know that that's people don't want to be doing that. Um, but the death of a loved one, you know, usually a parent or a child or someone they're really close to, um, can be so debilitating. And those there are many who suffer with with that reality of of not being able to move on um, because of a death of a loved one. And the same thing happens with those who have who have lost a child and miscarriage and things like this. Um, just know those of you that are suffering that God is very very patient, um, and uh, and let's just pray for those who are suffering with that debilitating morning, the morning that is debilitating. So if you're if you're hearing this, please do pray for those who are debilitated by mourning. And um, and if you are in that situation, just obviously we're praying for you. Please pray for us, but um, also. Uh, you know, ask God for the the joy and the appropriate response to to mourn in its fullness, but also to, um, you know, live in what your deceased loved one I'm sure wants you to live, and that that's that a certain joy with life while at the same time praying for them. And I will ask for prayers for the repose of the soul of Father John, but also um, for the repose of the soul. I have two funerals this weekend that I'm going to actually. Um, uh, Michael McCandless, the the father of our friend Father Michael McCandless, um, his dad passed away, and then also a woman named Sally, who uh, is a friend of ours, who died from a very quickly spreading cancer. So, for the repose of the soul of Father John, Michael, and Sally. All right, thank you, Father Michael. Good to be with you as always. You as well. Love you, Mother. Thank you for uh, the time and thank you for your wisdom. Love you too. Can you give us a blessing? Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May you find comfort from our Lord and hope in the confusing mystery of death. May you tap into the wisdom of the church that Jesus has given us as we find uh, the proper hope in mourning the worship of Jesus Christ, adoring him, thanking him for what he's done. Uh, may we always see death for what it is, something that sin brought into the world and therefore something that is to be conquered and has been conquered by our Lord. May you and I always react to that and respond to that in an appropriate way with faith and with hope and with persistence and dedication to praying for the deceased. Um, may you grow in trust of our Lord, that that he knows the deceased, he cares for the deceased, he desires that they remain with him forever and that he does everything that he can uh, to make that happen. And that should bring us immense, immense, immense joy. May you find that joy and may you find that hope. May you also uh, call to mind today and always, every Saturday at least, um, the deceased who our Lord needs you and asks you to pray for him. Um, within the body of Christ. May the Lord bless you and those you love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.